Welcome to this week's episode of the EcoScoop. I'm Flavia, and as usual, I'm joined by Ema. Hello. <laughs> nice so, to see you all. So today, let's start off by talking about our main interview today, actually, because Ema, you didn't actually know what it was, and I had a little giggle to myself because you actually signed the petition the other day. So today, um, the main interview is going to be with Callum McGowan and Neve Small, and they're going to be talking about a campaign which is coming to Queen's called Fossil Free careers anyway you signed the petition and I'm just interested what made you sign the petition I mean I suppose it just kind of makes sense to not focus on fossil fuel careers in the climate we're in and I will I feel like it will like make Queen's and the careers office kind of look towards other sort of more sustainable kind of jobs and jobs in areas that are perhaps way more important than putting graduates into a field that'll either collapse well let's say hopefully collapse do you want to say that yeah. but like hopefully. <laughs> hopefully collapse in the next few years so I mean there's like people with so much knowledge it's much better to put their knowledge somewhere much more valuable than something that's already there and is literally damaging our planet so I think it just makes so much more sense to focus on other areas and to keep that out of the picture when at all possible no that's yeah. brilliant yeah. and it's actually good to see that even before you know we we go to our interview and before the campaign's really kicked off at Queen's, there's already people that are picking up on it and that resonate with it. And I think Queen's generally has an issue with sort of diversity of employers they share and definitely fossil fuels is one that we want to get rid of. So without further ado, let's hear what Callum and Neve had to say earlier on in the week. So with me today, I've got Callum McGowan and Neve Small, two PhD students from my very own Queen's. Welcome to the Humble EcoScoop, guys. Hiya. Um, I think let's start off by if you guys just want to introduce yourselves to our listeners and just tell us a little bit about your area of study. Neve, let's start with you. Yeah, so um, my name's Neve and I am a PhD candidate in anthropology. And Calm and I are both members as well of the Centre for Sustainability, Equality and Climate Action. Um, my research in particular uh, looks at environmental activism in Northern Ireland and sort of the role of environmental peace building in post-conflict societies. Um, so looking at a mixture of grassroots and more traditional party politics activism um, to see the role that these groups can have in facilitating across community um, engagement uh, in Northern Ireland and how this will benefit um, a just transition, which has to involve all sort of sectors of community. Um, so that's just my research in a, in a brief. No, no, that sounds really interesting. How about you, Callum? Yeah, um, thanks for having me. My name is Callum. Uh, I'm from Belfast. Uh, a PhD, third year PhD student at Queen's. Um, as Neve said, also a member of the Centre for Sustainability, Equality and Climate Action. Um, and I'm working in, in green political theory um, and political economy, uh, specifically looking at building a theory of um, a sort of transformation of the state and economy towards a, a just and democratic green society. Wow, that's amazing, guys. That, that's really great stuff that you guys are working on. I only hope that I could ever even 
venture into a subject like that. Um, you're both here to talk about a very sort of specific campaign that you guys are getting involved in at the minute. Um, but it's related to the fossil fuel industry. So I thought we could just start off by just, and I'm sure our listeners will know this, but just talking a little bit about the fossil fuel industry, why it's so bad and why we really do need to make every effort we can to move away from it. Um, and I just wondered if you guys had any thoughts on that or anything that you wanted to share with our listeners from that front. Yeah, um, well, the area, area that I would sort of uh, be involved in, especially as an anthropologist, um, which our research method is based in long-term um, interactions with our participants. So I would always sort of approach issues from a very people-centered perspective and extractivism is no uh, different. When you look at the communities, both here in Northern Ireland, Ireland, but then further um, afield, particularly in Latin America, the effects that the fossil fuel industry has on communities is just destructive. Um, it's based on obviously an extractivist um, theory, which means just taking um, minerals and and things from the land and selling it on a global market. But the effects that this has on the communities that are at the forefront of these mines and um, uh, just really terrible impacts on their local communities. And they very rarely feel the benefits of these industries. Um, you can see that in there's a lot of um, really active campaigns in Northern Ireland against gold mining at the minute. Um, really highlighting the effects that this will have on their land, air, um, sort of, there's places that uh, have had really bad effects of mining in the south, um, one in particular where their uh, community centre was completely destroyed because one of the mines collapsed. Um, and these are really local examples. We often think mining and we think further afield, but these are really local examples. And you can imagine these happening and how you would feel if they were happening in your own backyard. Um, so that's sort of the um, approach I would take when I think about extractivism. Obviously, the wider impacts for climate and um, the effects this will have when you're trying to decarbonize a society. But when you really think about the people-centered aspect of it, that's when it really becomes an emotional issue as well. Um, I know Callum probably has a more theoretical um, explanation to all these things, but I sort of try and approach it from the people-centered side. And that's when I think these campaigns can really tug on your heartstrings, which is what we need to be doing as well as communicating the people side to this, not just the economic side. Yeah, because I think that's one thing that people often forget about, isn't it? Is how the industry affects those that actually have to deal with it from the extraction side of it because we often benefit from you know all the things that come from fossil fuels but a lot of people never have to live near a mine or anything like that so yeah no that that's a, a really good point actually Callum how about you any thoughts you want to add yeah I think um Neve's approach and, and her research is is fascinating for that and perhaps a good compliment to that is that that I tend to think of these at, at the more systemic level um so my research I'm, I'm thinking about the sort of the system changes that we need and on that as i'm sure most of your listeners will be aware is that the it's the case that the overwhelming scientific consensus now tells us that we have to to get off fossil fuels as soon as possible um if we're to avert the worst scenarios when it comes to to, to the climate emergency um and that means doing it much faster than we already are so 
so while it's, it's good to have climate legislation coming through um, national parliaments and so on, um, such as net zero targets, um, it's what really matters is the action that follows that, um, which we're, we're not really seeing at the minute. And part of that is the, the overwhelming power that the fossil fuel industry has um, in our societies. Um, a large part of that is to do with the extent to which we depend on carbon-based energy. Um, but it has material impacts on the political decisions as well. Um, so for instance, at the, the recent COP26 event in, in Glasgow, um, the fossil fuel industry was, was overrepresented there. Um, they had really important um, seats or filled important seats in those discussions while you had a lot of climate campaigners, climate justice activists that were struggling to even get entry into the building. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. We actually had two people from the EcoScoop there, um, and that was one of the things that they noticed was the presence of fossil fuel industries. And we had someone who was reporting on the protests outside and how difficult it was for those people protesting to actually get inside and get their voices heard, which was of huge concern. But um, just following on from your point, Callum, that actually um, it's all very good to make those political promises, but actually it's it's about the action that you take afterwards. Probably brings us on quite nicely onto the campaign that you guys are working on, which is called the Fossil Free careers movement um do you guys want to just start off by introducing the campaign so how has it come about who's leading this campaign where's it coming from i'm sure i'll jump in on that to start um the campaign has come um largely from an organization called people and planet um, which is a uk-based student network um, which combines our campaign sorry for social and environmental justice um, they've been instrumental in, in quite a lot of student-based activism on, on the climate emergency, such as the divestment campaign, um, which some of your listeners may be aware and some may not actually had. There's an energetic campaign about um, divestment in QUB in 2015-2016. This is almost the, the, kind of the next, next step from that. Um, but it also comes out of an awareness that um, that universities are tied up in, in numerous ways um, in the fossil fuel industry. Um, and it's about encouraging universities to, to act on their responsibilities to their student, to their to their students, to their staff, um, and to their wider communities, um, where there is that scientific consensus that we spoke about in terms of getting off fossil fuels and so on. Um, institutions such as universities should really be leading the charge to take action on that on behalf of the communities they serve. Um, so the Fossil Free Careers campaign is at its heart about uh, encouraging the university's careers departments to cut ties with the oil, gas and mining industries um, and to stop the flow of graduates uh, into those jobs. No, definitely. And I think especially for the Queens who recently announced a sustainability plan you would really hope that something like this would be well received and that it would make sense as a part of that um, sustainability plan. So the key objectives then are to cut ties with fossil fuels and basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, to stop promoting any jobs to their graduates that are connected to fossil fuel industries. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not to say that the that we are trying to decide what jobs graduates go into 
obviously there's autonomy and personal choice in a career path what we're just trying to say is these shouldn't be systematically supported by queens because if they are to meet their own um, sustainability and green targets and then we as a society in Northern Ireland or wider are supposed to meet um, climate targets there needs to be a rapid descale in fossil fuel industries and fossil fuel careers so we're just trying to highlight that this shouldn't this pipeline directly into fossil fuel careers is not sustainable for students so queens shouldn't should try and really work against pushing their students into unsustainable careers yeah and I guess is one of the underlying ideas for this is that if we accept that the fossil fuel industry is an industry with no future and that it needs to be got rid of then essentially what is the point in sending students onto an industry that has a short-lived life or what we expect we'll have a short-lived right life right yeah that that's central to it there's the idea of the the university's wider commitment to sustainability in terms of climate and ecological crisis um, and acting on the science that we that, that that we know is there and what it tells us um and and that means not supporting these industries which are complicit in in, in worsening that situation but it's also sustainable careers in their own right as you say for for students and it's the duty to students to to, to prepare them for a sustainable career so as you say if you're then encouraging them into this this kind of pipeline um, of recruitment into these industries and they begin to build a career within that um, as part of this sort of transition away from carbon-based energy it means that those industries have to go um, uh, and and those jobs will will go with it um, yeah. so it's, it's almost sort of anticipating this we talk about this just transition um, which is a big a big discourse within um, climate politics now and it's about getting people that are in those jobs into sustainable jobs um, but there's also then the duty to, to to prevent people from from going through the door into those jobs in the first place at this stage because they're just there's no longevity there yeah no definitely and I think this is probably a really good way of thinking of just transition because it tends to be this really big abstract concept to most people that gets thrown around that people don't really know what that means and this is this is a really good way of, of, of thinking about it in terms of those careers that people are going to go into after they graduate um I'm just wondering then sort of and this might be a little bit nitpicky but a lot of fossil fuel um companies and and, and businesses will have sort of departments where they're transitioning into renewable energy for example um would that be sort of is it jobs that relate specifically to fossil fuels or is it all fossil fuel companies regardless that we're looking to exclude i think at this stage um it is in recognition of the sort of the complex partnerships and relations um which uh, are across the university and our economy and, and, and the way society functions um, means that many institutions and, and careers and practices are complicit in these um, in upholding these industries and, and many of them are concerned as you rightly say with with helping companies and, and, and people transition out of those um, so for the sake of this campaign um, we are are really targeting explicitly on um, oil, gas and, and mining companies. 
but those, those have to be our our, our sort of primary our, our principal mm. targets because they are the ones that are that are really doing the work in in exploring for um, extracting and, and producing these these materials and we don't doubt that fossil fuel companies there'll be a small percentage of renewable jobs but it's nearly at the fault of these companies in their own right that these aren't high they highlight these and they put a token amount of their profits into renewable jobs but by greenwashing the rest of the time they're not um advertising these jobs in the correct ways so for people and for people like us in our campaign we can't do all the work to pick out which ones are the renewable jobs so sometimes it's just at the moment, we just say fossil fuels and extractivist um, jobs. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair because you're absolutely right. These companies do have a well-documented history of greenwashing and a lot of the investments that, that they put into renewable energies are, are minuscule. So I suppose it makes sense to have a sort of focus in that way. Callum, do you want to jump in? Yeah, um, just, just to sort of clarify on that point as well, the while those are the principal um, kind of targets of the campaign and and um, who we really need universities, Queens included, to to cut ties with. Um, one of the the demands of this campaign is that uh, the, the the university and the careers department adopt a publicly available ethical careers policy um, that explicitly excludes oil, gas, and mining companies from recruitment opportunities. Obviously, uh, if we were given the chance, we would strongly encourage um, the university to to be as radical as they can be in that regard, um, and and to go further, um, and even for potentially in how they engage with with other companies, um, uh, yeah, encouraging them away from uh, these practices which legitimise and support fossil fuel industries. No, definitely. And I'm just wondering now that you're actually talking about industries, are there any precedent? Like, are there any other industries where universities or institutions like them have kind of cut ties with in the past? Do we know? I think um, a lot of universities, I think around 20 percent um, won't their careers department won't offer um, services to tobacco companies um, as well as gambling services. And I think um, Calum, I don't know if you know of any more, um, but those are the two that I know stick out in my mind. Yeah, um, and it's worth noting that those were, uh, those industries have been contested. Um, you know, it's it's not that long ago that uh, we would have seen advertising for cigarettes and so on. It was it was much more socially accepted, um, and as that has changed over time, um, you you have um institutions such as universities cutting ties with those and rightly so um again there was um and there are often parallels made between research tobacco related research and climate related research and the sort of obfuscation and so on that went in there um and and how funding was allocated and so on so there are important parallels there to be drawn and it shows that um as neve has rightly pointed out there are precedents here yeah so definitely i mean I think we all know now about the parallels between tobacco and fossil fuel industry and it just seems like fossil fuel industry is following a similar path to tobacco in that this is one of the ways that you know cultural opposition to fossil fuels is kind of manifesting itself in people just 
looking to reject all ties with with the industry so in a lot of ways it, it does make a lot of sense um i'm just wondering in terms of and i know that the campaign itself is fairly young and that you guys have only just started campaigning for it on qub campus but i'm just wondering for the for the purpose of our listeners are there any sort of key industries that queens itself has got an association with or anything specific that beyond that we're asking queens to do basically um, well, we know that, that Queens have had um, ties with these industries. Uh, there are currently um, freedom of information requests in with the university to, to, to get a picture of the specifics in relation to that. And we really hope that the university are as transparent as they can be in that. Um, again, because it really is their duty to, to be upfront about this and, and, and to change it. Um, but hopefully we'll have more on that as the campaign kind of progresses. No, definitely. And it, it will be really interesting to see see what comes out of that. And like you said, hopefully the university is really transparent about this because I think that this is something that students will feel quite strongly about. Um, so keep us posted on that. And if anything interesting comes out of it, you'll have to come back on the podcast to tell our listeners about it. Um, so how can students listening get involved then? How's this campaign going to manifest itself um, and how can students find out more about it? Well, at the minute, we have a petition um, currently live that students can um, sign to show support in that way. Um, and then their social media accounts, if they want to follow and they can follow the campaign, or if they want to get involved, just message one of those accounts and um, they can get involved. As um, you've said, it is still in quite its early days. So there is... Um, quite a long future for this campaign and if people want to get sort of directly involved in the sort of um, direction that this campaign is going to get this this is a great stage the sort of early stage where we'll be really crafting what this campaign is going to do at Queen's in particular and um, this um, campaign is active in a lot of other universities um, especially in England um, but we know Northern Ireland is, is its own uh, place with its own um, sort of societal um, challenges but also benefits we've got a great history of um, direct action in terms of community groups as um, sort of our post-conflict society provides so it really is a good opportunity to get involved in a campaign that can really do something good uh, and really achieve a small goal in the large um, uh, scale of a just transition but something that could really make a difference yeah, I think that's really important what you said. There's, there is the potential to, to, to see a goal realised in this. Um, it's a, it's a really good campaign, um, and on that, I would really encourage as many people to get involved as possible because there is the potential to do real good with this, um, and to hold the university to account. Um, more broadly, I think uh, students can just start to to spread the word um, about about this issue specifically, but obviously about the, the sort of decarbonisation agenda and the university's role in it um, more broadly with, with students and staff on campus, but, but also beyond the sort of the university community. Um, the petition that, that Neve mentioned is open to, to everyone to sign. It's not just um, those within the university community. Um, and I think that's especially important to go back to something that Neve mentioned earlier in the discussion um, regarding the kind of the salience of extractive, uh, extractivist issues here in on the island of Ireland, um, and it's kind of a 
overstate it, but to show solidarity with those communities. Um, I think it's it's important to to help us build awareness of of those issues as well. Um, so yeah, I mean there there are those ways to get involved. Um, I'd be happy if if students want to get in contact directly if they they want to see how they can kind of fit in at this stage, um, and and get as many people working with this as possible. Uh, I think it's also important to to stress that um, while this is a good way in, I think really important for us is. Um, to build more of a student movement, an activist student movement on these issues of, of climate and ecological crisis. Um, and I think students need to be aware that they, they have much more power than perhaps they realize. Yeah, no, the Bethnal campaign is a really good example of that. Um, the university policy at that, that was proposed at that stage was that um, the university was going to divest from fossil fuels by 2025. So but that so they still wouldn't have divested by this stage um, and that policy was directly protested against by fossil free QB which basically was ended up the final sort of frontier of that was an occupation of one of the finance buildings so students do have power and they do have the um, potential to create real change um, and this could be an example of how people can get involved it doesn't mean we have to occupy buildings that that's just one strategy but there is power um in being a student and there is real potential um to really grow as an activist which is what environmentalism um needs yeah i don't think environmentalism could ever have too many activists and i i mean i'd probably add to what you guys are saying since qub has kind of recognized the climate emergency and has announced a commitment to adopt more sustainable practices in the future you know, now's a really good time to sort of get involved in activism because you're engaging with an institution that has recognized the problem and has made a commitment to adopt more sustainable practices. So it's less of an uphill battle than it would have been 10 years ago. So there's also that to, to I think, highlight to students when they're getting involved that, you know, this is a really good time to, to get involved and, and to just contribute whatever way we you can. Because we always say this on the podcast doesn't you don't really have to like you said be into occupying buildings or anything like that like there's so many other ways that students can get involved um and and every single one of those ways makes a small difference and, that, and that's what we need absolutely i think um just just a final thought on that is that, that you both there highlighted instances where the university was pressured into to into yeah. something, be it the, the commitment to divesting or the declaration of, of climate emergency and so on. And these are uh, directly from sort of increased pressure from students on the university to do this. And while that's great in those specific things, and, and here we have with fossil free careers, a specific target, which hopefully um, we'll see through. We need to, to, to maintain that pressure between those that's why I, I spoke of a sort of a broader student movement, um, I think. And, and even we might start to think of how we can connect in with other universities in Northern Ireland, in, in the UK and the island of Ireland to, to, to put pressure on these institutions um, everywhere. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that's a great thought to leave people with because you're right, all those things that we were talking about also show the power of students basically when they organize and they campaign for something they want to see change in so i think that's definitely a great thought to leave students with and um 
for those of you listening as well, I will tag all the social media accounts that have been mentioned here. And I'll also post um, a link to the petition for anybody who's interested in signing the petition um, for fossil free careers. Um, guys, listen, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and raising awareness for this campaign. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. So that was Callum and Neve talking about the new campaign coming to Queen's called Fossil Free Careers. As we kind of mentioned during the interview, I'm going to share the petition for anyone who's interested in showing the support for the campaign. And I'll also tag some of the relevant social media accounts that you can follow them, keep up to date with what's going on for that campaign. And again, get involved as much as you want. So after that, Ema, I believe you've got a roundup of some good events that are coming up for people that want to get involved. Do you want to just give us a run through of those yes so there's a kind of a couple of different ones a couple of different groups um as you'll probably know at the minute um or you may not know and you can check it out but um just stop oil and extinction rebellion in the uk are blocking different oil terminals at the minute so that's kind of a radical action if you're looking to get involved in the next <laughs> few weeks i'm <laughs> not saying you have to but on a less radical note there is a march coming up on the 23rd of april in belfast so it starts at the titanic and finishes at the big fish so it is with um, Surfers Against Sewage Northern Ireland and Friends of the Earth Northern Ireland, if I'm not mistaken. And that is at 1pm at the Titanic and to the Salmon of Knowledge. So it's for uh, the National Day of Action and Water Quality. So um, that is happening on the 23rd. And then there is a climate caravan that's happening down south. So it's check it out on the Instagram of Extinction Rebellion Ireland. And they are going for, I think, five or six or seven locations over uh the dates of the 9th to 20th of April. So that's just kind of an outreach event. So if you're interested in anything climate related, there's different groups kind of coming together, especially over the next few months. I think there will be one or two kind of meetings, but no confirmed dates and no confirmed locations yet, but just different events where groups will be meeting up. Um, so yeah, and if you want any online events, the Gathering Northern Ireland, I think they're called. So that's ejni.org or .co.uk. I can't actually remember, but they have a calendar of different online events if you're looking just to kind of get more informed or get just check out what's happening um, in Northern Ireland and in Ireland itself. No, definitely. That's a, a really good roundup of events, especially the water quality one, because Northern Ireland does have a huge problem with water quality. So get involved, guys. Um, right. So coming up next, we've got the good news segment again. Ima, I'll come back to you. So tell us what's on the good news radar. What have we got to be happy about? Well, there is lots to be happy about. So we'll start off perhaps with um, should we start with Kurs Kurs? Should we decide how we how we pronounce this company? Let's just agree to disagree. <laughs> agree to disagree might be the best way to yeah. do it. Yeah. So anyways, Curse Light in America have um, made a pledge or a commitment to end the use of those six-pack plastic rings. So um, I think it's already in the UK and Ireland. I think Budweiser, Guinness and Curse have all ditched um, their plastic for the use of like paper and stuff. So um, as... America's second largest beer brand. Um, they've now committed to move away from plastic rings and they're investing 85 million to begin the transition to fully recyclable and sustainably sourced cardboard wrapped carriers. Um, and they reckon it will save 1.7 million of plastic waste annually. Um, I don't know, is that, they say pounds, so I assume that's weight because it's American. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you can imagine that's absolutely massive. That is massive. That's massive. And just like, I think people had already been aware of the, 
use of marines bef- like or the the use of the effect these rings were having, having on, on marine wildlife marine yeah. wildlife We've seeing the pictures literally yeah and then when it came to single use plastic so it's it's a massive commitment that hopefully others will mark because even like you want the off license and there is so many of them yeah. and if these big companies are doing it small companies definitely can as well i think exactly. too yeah and it's worth adding to the people who are going to you know be buying their tinnies that still come in the plastic rings that before you dispose of them a good thing to do is just to cut them up so that animals don't get caught in them if they do make their way out into just not the bin bag so that's another really good tip for you guys there as well whilst we still continue to deal with them but that's definitely a really really good change move in the right direction definitely i think so and don't forget as well with your disposable face masks to take them off so cut strings or pull the strings you could use them as hair ties if you really wanted an emergency (laughs) sustainability sustainability hashtag yeah yeah but yeah don't forget that um no so yeah i guess moving on to the next one um this one is kind of it has passed but i just thought it was quite interesting um was the un have declared a um international day of forests so it is on the 21st of march so it's just it's recent enough and i think this year's one, um, it had a theme, so it was Forests for Sustainable Production and Consumption. Um, and this title was chosen by the Collaborative Partnership on Forests, so their voluntary interagency partnership of 15 international um, organisations, institutions and secretariats. Um, so if anyone was looking for a job, go check that out as we come up to the end of our final years. Oh God, <laughs> final year, Dad. Oh, I know, literally. Um, so anyways, I think the group hopes that the Global Forest Goals and Sustainable Development Goals will be... Um, kind of reached within a period I think it's before 2030 mm. um, so, which is brilliant um, so I think they've also kind of they've signed come together different groups have come together so Regreener is um, a company who aims to achieve forest goals as well so they go through um, different approaches to this so they um, have a a system for um, tracking your carbon output and then offsetting as a business so you can I, just, I think it's like kind of you can offset mer- your carbon footprint yeah. essentially yeah. yeah and it mimics I think a subscription service um, so I think you can have a one-off approach or kind of a subscription service either so that's one to check out um, and they say that since 2021 when they started um, t- 105,000 over 105,000 trees have been planted <laughs> you 100, got that yeah <laughs> it's a lot of numbers for so early in the morning <laughs> And 3,000, no, 300,000 or 3,000 hectares of rainforest have been protected. Blimey, it is really too early for you in maths, isn't it? It is, I know. A lot of thousands. (laughs) A lot of thousands. (laughs) And then a lot more thousands with an aid at the start. Tons of certified carbon (laughs) have been compensated. And 8,000 working hours, 8,400 working hours have been created for people. I to the figures. I'm proud of you. Yeah, I know. I mean, it has to be factual. Yes, it does. It does. Yeah, so that's kind of figures they've had anyway since the start of 2021. And I think they've also paired up with the international law firm Allen & Overy LLP, who have announced their partnership and they want to, the law firm wants to help fight against climate change and meet their goal to reach a reduction of 50% CO2 emissions by 2030. Um, it'd be nice if they went a little bit further, but I suppose it's a start and if others come come after them in it. Um, and they'll also help support regreener develop sustainable projects such as forests, um, a reef Forestation in Kenya and Mozambique, as well as rainforest protection in Ecuador. So Lovely. that's a nice kind of international sort of goals there that will hopefully kind of it's nice to see it, I guess, kind of going into the private sector and not just a 
Paris goals. Yeah, no, definitely. Having, Not just seeing it internationally, like, you know, abstract government um, goals and just seeing it go into the private sector just kind of means that, you know, they're set in a pathway and, you know, having that social responsibility that just makes them more yeah. appealing to, to just generally clients and, and future employees as well. So Literally, and I think as well, pairing with an organisation who've already, whose main goal is that will definitely help keep accountability too. So Exactly. And, yeah. any, and anything towards deforestation, to be honest, is is, is great because yeah. it's such a massive problem <laughs> that we really do just need to deal with it. So definitely really positive. Yeah. So we obviously couldn't end the show without a little we bit of animal-related good news. And this one, I got the chance to experience firsthand, and I love seals, and it was great. Um, and it is a little bit of a plug because a group of students from Queen's Radio are actually working on a documentary looking at marine conservation, and that's going to air later on towards the end of May, and it'll be publicised all over Queen's Radio social media, so keep an eye out for that. But... Last week, we got the chance to collaborate with Explorers. And for those of you who don't know, it's an aquarium and seal sanctuary in Portaferry. And we went down to find out about the work that they carry out in their seal sanctuary. And we met a load of the lovely, lovely seals that are currently under their care. We met Neptune, who unfortunately is very, very ill. He got really injured by the blade of a boat, bless him, and he's been with them for nine months. So we're going to continue watching that eagerly to see when he's healthy enough to be released. But the really positive thing is we met um, two grey seals, Ceres and Eris, who had been rescued and were actually about to be released. So we went and met them, watched them being fed, found out about their stories. One of them was abandoned as abandoned by their mum, which there's a lesson there. If you see seals on the beach, please avoid them because if you come too close, they will be frightened and they will abandon their pups. And then their pups end up usually being dying of starvation but this one didn't this one was rescued and it recovered and it was released on the 1st of june and eris was another seal that was there who again another cautionary tale turns out seals will eat pretty much anything they come across including birds which is what eris did but again it recovered and it was released back into the wild together on the 1st of june so you know Explorers do some really amazing work and it was just really good to see two fully recovered seals that were released back into the wild and we learned some really good things about what to do if you come across a seal that's in distress, what to do generally if you come across a seal on a beach. Um, so yeah. Lovely. That's really nice. It's actually a really interesting point as well. Not to approach seals with pups. I yeah. would never have known that. And yeah, and don't let your dogs out loose on beaches that no. are quite popular for seals as well because, you know. You can imagine the havoc that would wreck it yeah. also just yeah exactly yeah exactly. let's just not yeah no let's just we'll not go down that road don't do it don't do it no, that's a lovely story though i like that that's also nice to know there's a seal sanctuary there for anyone who does come across a seal yeah if you Brilliant. do come across a seal yeah. that's in distress yeah. don't approach it just you know kind of stand away at a distance because the mum might come back for it mm -hmm. um and if you're too close you might put put the mother off so yeah don't approach them um, just make sure that you, you know the area is kind of secured and maybe the other people aren't going to approach and, and call explorers and they'll come in carry out a welfare check and if needs be they will take the seal away to their sanctuary for recovery Lovely. so yeah definitely so definitely nice. encourage people making a trip down there and you can sponsor seals which helps them fund the care for the rescue seals they look after I like it I yeah. like it good to know definitely yeah. nice to have a local seal story as well Oh, absolutely. We get them every so often. Are, That's really are, nice. They are adorable. They yeah. really are so cute. But if you want to find out more about the seals, then keep an eye on Queen's Radio for when the documentary comes out. Right. That's all Brilliant. we've got time for today, I think. I think so. Yeah, I think that might be well be it. That might be it. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll hopefully speak to you again soon. 
Thank you.